This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. I think a lot of us design our learnings around an event, a moment in time when our audience will engage with us and absorb really great content that we've created for them. However, if we really think about how we learn, it's not event-based, but rather a continual journey of discovery and growth. So the question is, how can we think differently about this process? And what tools can we implore to give our learners what they need when they need it? Well, luckily, our guest today discusses this very topic and has some great wisdom to share. Jethro Jones is an educational consultant and host of the Transformative Principal Podcast, and he has some amazing wisdom around just-in-time learning thinking, modalities, and the need for good mentorship for everyone. This is an amazingly powerful episode, folks, one you need to listen to. So let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds, because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Scott Schutte. With us tonight, you love her, the Duchess of Design, Abby Dawson, everybody. Abby! Hey there. How you doing? I'm doing good. Better than Dan, I guess, huh? Better than Dan. Yeah, Dan's having some internet woes. Dan moved to the sticks. And um, he's actually recording now through a tin can and some twine. <laughs> yeah, his and, quest for uh, internet, the new uh, role player game, is not going well. <laughs> it's not going well. Not going well. So I gave him the week off. I said, Dan, go. He's going out west to find some internet along with um, Stan's dad. Um, that is a, that, that's a deep cut from the South. Are you a South Park person? I watched South Park like years and years ago, but... Mm-hmm. I can't really have it in the house with a toddler. You just it's too unpredictable. I can't yeah, no, no, I got it. School. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. that the um the internet episode was fantastic. Um I've seen a ghost. And we'll leave it at that. Um so that's groovy. So that great. Hey, but we're also not alone. We've got a amazing guest with us. Um, ladies and gentlemen. Uh he is the host of the transformative principal. Uh Mr. Jethro Jones is in the house. How you doing, Jethro? Doing great. So glad to be here. <laughs> that is fantastic. Hey, we're going to go ahead and get to know Jethro uh, with a little uh, piece of the show that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Jethro, what's your deal, man? 
So my deal is that I used to be a school principal, did that for about a decade, was a teacher before that. I've got a wife and four wonderful kids, the oldest of whom has influenced my educational philosophy more than anybody else in the world. And so I'm sure we'll get to that throughout the podcast, but she has Down syndrome and I hate to define her that way, Mm -hmm. but it's important to the rest of my story, which is that as soon as she was born, I realized that every expectation and plan that I had for all of my kids was just thrown out the window. And that just changed everything because when she was born, I wasn't even a teacher yet. And then I became a teacher afterward and looked at the whole education process completely differently than I had my previous life before that. So really powerful. And I'm sure we'll get into that more when we, when we talk later. That's incredible. Um, you sir are blessed. You know that, right? Very, uh, words can't describe how blessed, how blessed I am. It's almost not fair to even talk about it. Yeah. It takes special people to be given the honor and the privilege to do what you do. And so if you didn't know that already, I'm going to tell you that. Um, and that is a really awesome thing. So, and, but I'm super excited to, uh, be, uh, chatting with you today. You know, we, you, I had the opportunity to be on your podcast. We had a great time talking some groovy stuff and, and today, um, we've got some even better things to be talking about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and we'll dive into the topic of the week, shall we? All right, Jethro, you're here to talk about how learning should be done when you need it. I, I, I love the topic line itself. Help us understand what you mean by that, sir. Well, I have found that when you need to learn something, that's when you actually remember it. So we get all kinds of information and data flowing at us all throughout our lives, day in, day out. And the only stuff we actually remember is what we actually needed to remember in the moment. Everything else is just stored away somewhere that we can never go back and access because there's too much information for us. And so... If we learn things right when we need it, then it it takes care of everything else that that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Sounds simple, right? It's totally simple. Piece of cake. It's like the easiest thing in the world. But in practice, it's a little more challenging because you have to know that you need that learning in order to go find it. Yeah, I would also say that it's it's a lot more difficult in practice because uh, my experience from an instructional design perspective is that we generally don't think that way. Like we think that learning is an event. And so what we do is we plan all of our learning to be this event, like this training, this thing that happens at a point in time. And we feel like, okay, you went and did that. So now we're good. But if what you're saying is true, and I 100% agree, that thought process is completely different. Oh, absolutely. And it's wrong for adult learners, and it's also wrong for child learners as well. And here's the issue. We have expectations, and uh, the uh, my wife's mentor, Jody Moore, calls expectations unfulfilled disappointments. Because when you have expectations, then at some point... They are going to be not met, and so you're going to be disappointed. So the only thing that an expectation is, is that it's just waiting to not come to pass. Isn't now, that this the is truth? important. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
What, so you don't, this is you don't have expectations that your husband doesn't know about, do you, Abby? Because that would never happen. <laughs> as far as he knows, no. But <laughs> yeah, and that is the key, Abby. So so much wisdom in that in that statement, as, especially as it comes to relationships. We have expectations about what other people should do and how they should act and all that, and unfortunately, it just never works out that way. And if it does, then it's because there's healthy communication, there's clear boundaries, there's a powerful, positive relationship, and that all leads to us openly communicating about what our expectations are. And then we can live up to those expectations or adjust them to be more realistic. Yeah, that it makes me think um, a lot of times what we try to remind ourselves, at least me and my team and the folks I've worked with in the past, we so often approach learning like this is what we need them to know, which doesn't make any sense to the learner. It has to be what does the learner need from us. Um, and those seem like subtle differences, but they're really significant. Yeah, they really are. And what you'll find, especially when it comes to adult learning, is that we have something that we think we need people to know or learn. And whatever those expectations are, they are probably not the same for every single person. And so we go into a professional development situation with a bunch of adults and we say, what is it that you need to learn today? And we'll decide that. You can give input sometimes. Sometimes there's some opportunity for that, but not usually. And so what I do in my professional development with adults, um, with coaches or principals who I coach regularly, uh, what I do is I don't have any expectation for learning because that's all in their power anyway. So there's no, there's no expectation from me about what you should learn or what you should get out of it. And I, will, I allow them to decide what it is that they want to learn on their own rather than me trying to influence what I think they should learn. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Um, and, and honestly, that's where that discovery part of learning really, really comes to life, right? So if you allow those moments to kind of organically happen, then both the facilitator and the learner learn together, right? That's part of it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, it, this is where it gets so amazing, Scott. When you recognize that that's what you're there for, that your role as a educator is not to get people to reach a certain proficiency on a certain standard or achieve some specific goal, your goal is rather to help them get better in the way that they need to get better. You both walk away learning so much more. Mm -hmm. One, the educator, the teacher learns how to facilitate things better so that that those moments of awareness and understanding happen more quickly and more often. And what the learner learns is that they are in a safe place for them to learn what it is that they need to learn, even if it doesn't perfectly align with what the instructor thinks should happen. So I'm fascinated with this idea because I feel like your learner, I mean, you automatically have this engagement shift, right? Like it's mine. I'm, I'm going to get what I need instead of being kind of at the behest of whoever's leading the training or, or you know, whoever I'm doing the training for. Um, so I imagine that does a couple of things, right? Like they must leave more confident. They must be bought, more bought into the experience um, because they're owning 
that whole experience now, right? It's their decision. They've told you what they need to learn. Um, but how does that how does that ladder up to where you can do that like a, in a larger setting? I can see it happening one-on-one. How does that happen in a group setting? Well, that brings up a fundamental flaw in how we think education should happen. That it doesn't, education doesn't really happen in group settings. It always, always happens with the individual. Learning always happens with the individual. So it doesn't matter if there's a thousand people in the room or one. Every person is going to have their own unique learning experience related to whatever that event is. So if you walk in and say, I need everybody to do this and get this certain thing, you've lost the battle already. Instead, what you have to recognize is that every person is coming in and you need to challenge each one of them to get the learning that they need from whatever happens in that environment. And sometimes that means you're not in the right place and you need to go somewhere else and get that learning in a different situation. Yeah, I wasn't there yet. I was still a step behind. I was still thinking (laughs) (laughs) that makes so much sense. So let's, let's go back a little bit to this whole idea of just in time learning, which, which I think is part and parcel to things we've been talking about. So as an educator or as an instructional designer or those people who are charged with this idea of, of helping others to learn and grow, how do we begin to think about just in time and what are some key elements in your head that need to be present when it comes to those kinds of experiences or materials or um, whatever uh, from a just in time learning perspective? Well, this is something that I do every week with the principals that I work with and that I did as a school principal with my student body at a middle school. So if you can get middle schoolers to do some amazing <clears throat> If you can get middle schoolers to do some amazing things, then the, the possibilities are endless for what you can get other people to do. Because middle schoolers are completely governed by their little tiny lizard brain and their <laughs> emotions and their hormones. So it, I love being a middle school principal because every day was a brand new day, but you had some real challenges with getting kids to actually care about learning. And so the first step is enrollment, which uh, we have destroyed that term, as Seth Godin says, to mean that you sign a piece of paper and say, I'm going to be here at this certain time. Enrollment is so much more. People have to want to be engaged in what you're doing. And if it is rote memorization or it is procedural and boring and not worthwhile to what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, then it's not going to be it's not going to happen. They're not going to enroll and choose to be part of that. So you need to start with enrollment and get to a point where they want to come to you for those learning opportunities. Sometimes you can't and you just have to fake it till you make it kind of a thing. And so I'm not saying abandon all your plans, but rather recognize that you need to seek for that enrollment. So whoever the learner is, they have to come wanting to learn things. So that's the first thing, enrollment. The second thing is understanding. They have to understand who's responsible for the learning. The teacher is not responsible for the learning. The learner is responsible for the learning. So if you go into a situation and it's going to be a a boring class or whatever, you're, you're still responsible for the learning that comes from that as the learner. Now, the problem with compulsory education or compulsory training 
is that we are forced because it's compulsory to put all of the expectations on the teacher or the instructor so that they are the ones who are carrying the weight for everybody. And that is an unsustainable situation. So there's enrollment. There's the understanding that you are in charge of your own learning. And then third, there's the expectation. I'm using that word intentionally that you are going to get something out of this. And if you go in saying this is a pointless waste of time, I'm not going to learn anything. That's exactly what's going to happen. I love the quote by Abraham Lincoln attributed to him. Who knows if he really said it, that whether you think you're right or you think you're not, you're probably right. Um, And that could be said about so many things, whether you think you are wise or you think you are dumb, you're probably correct in that thinking. And that goes back to this idea about mindset that you have to have an expectation that you're going to be able to learn something from the best teacher out there, from the worst teacher out there, and from everybody else who's in the room with you. And that's the challenge, right? So it's that uh, we we call it often like the what's in it for me, the WIFM, right? So identifying what that WIFM is for my particular audience and then making sure that that is present at the get or even before the learning you know, opportunity, whether that's, you know, self-directed or otherwise, that people have an understanding that this is important and it's going to be important to me because, because without, without a solid with them, you're dead in the water. Right. And who's in charge of deciding what the with them is the learner. So a teacher can attempt to say, this is what I think is in it for you. But the reality is, is that it is always on the learner that learning is always an individual responsibility and nobody else can do anything to take away that responsibility or to add to that responsibility. And when you start thinking like that, then your job as the instructional designer becomes different because then your job is to show up and be prepared for what it is that your people need rather than show up and be prepared with a lesson that may or may not hit the mark. So how do you set that? You've been a school principal, so you, you you set like the tone, the culture for a large organization. What are some steps that we can do to try and set that tone? And then if we need to shift, how do we do that? How do we figure out, hey, we have an opportunity or, or we're missing the mark? Yeah, the first thing is really to just address it and, and say bluntly, I, I as the instructional designer or this group as the instructional team, in our, in our corporation or whatever, they do not have the power to overrule what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So that would be the first thing, just acknowledge that the instructional group, they, they are not in charge of learning each individual employee or each individual person is once you set that tone, then it's much easier to say, what are you doing to make things better? And how do you need our support? Because it's a lot easier to say, I need, I need to learn how to do this, and then I can make a course for that specific thing, or I can say, here's a resource, you can go to find it. But once you recognize that that's what you need to do first, then that makes all the other steps easier. So if you're not willing to admit that to everybody and to say it out loud, then you're going to be, you're always going to have the same struggle. You're never going to get there. So the first thing is admit it. The second thing is to, create learning plans with each person and learning plan is a, 
is a education term, but it's not really a great way to describe what's going on. It's, it's basically going through and talking about what tools and resources do you need to get whatever your particular job is done. And when you start laying out the things they need, then educational opportunities are going to come up. And so sometimes all that means is you talk about the project that people are working on. And then you go through that project and you say, what are the tasks that you need to accomplish? What are the tools you need to be able to accomplish that? And what learnings do you need to have happen to be able to accomplish this? So you admit that you don't, that it's in the learner's hands. And then second, you create a learning plan that can be as simple as going through their projects and asking where they need additional support to accomplish those projects. And then the third thing is you help people become aware of their own learnings that have happened. So you've talked about it's in their control. You've talked through their learning plan. And now you say, what did you actually learn? So in the education realm, the way that I describe this is a teacher typically will say, this is the standard I'm trying to hit. Here's the lesson I'm going to give. And then I'm going to do an assessment to see if they got that standard. And I'm suggesting that you do it a little bit backwards. You find out what they need to learn or what they want to learn. Or if, if that's awkward or they can't articulate it, which is very possible, then you just find out what they're working on and you go through and ask them after the fact, what did you learn as a part of working on this? Now, if somebody can do their job without learning anything new, they are basically a factory worker, an assembly line person, and they're just doing the same thing over and over again. Now, if that's what you do, that's all well and good. Keep doing it. That's fine. But if there are ways that you want people to be more creative and solve more problems, then they have to be learning things while they're doing their jobs. And so if they finish a project and did not learn anything during that project, they're in the wrong position. They need more responsibility and more opportunity to learn and grow. And that's the other way that you backdoor, make sure that this happens. You give them responsibilities above their capability currently so that they can grow into the kind of person that they can be. I love that, Scott. Are you are you like going all tingly? That's like Scott's kind of world, right? That idea <laughs> that learning is not to do a job, it's to become a better person, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, we all <laughs> want to be better. We had an opportunity a few weeks ago to talk about this idea that learning should be hard. And that goes yeah, against everything podcast. that I was taught in instructional design. Oh, no. No, 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 no. This must make it as easy as possible, right? So to get from point A to B, you got to do X, Y, and Z. And if you can explain that, it's great. But that journey and that process of growth is where real learning happens. So I'm, I'm loving that, that you're bringing this up. Um, and, and it applies to everybody, not just middle schoolers, right? We, we all have opportunities to, to learn and to grow. And if I'm not making the most of those learning opportunities, then what am I doing, right? Um, and all too often, I think that a lot of us find ourselves in that place where it's like, I, I don't know when learning or growing at all. Uh, but that's an active choice that I as a learner get to make, which is why I'm so stoked to talk to guys like you, Jethro. <laughs> no, I'm learning stuff. Hey, learning is great. Like, um, and when you accept that, it becomes a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's talk about that piece for just a moment that when you accept that it's on that person's shoulders to do the learning, then that changes how you're going to design all of your instruction. 
And the problem with our traditional process of what you said before, Scott, that it should be easy is that if you're just trying to teach people to do what you want them to do, then yes, it should be easy because they're going to hate it. So (laughs) since they hate it so much, let's make it easier for them to do it and get through it because it's also compulsory. Whereas when it's on them and they're the ones who are in charge of it, they're so much more willing to do whatever they need to do to learn how to do it. So we, one real life example of this is we talked about my podcast transformative principle, which um, I I'm on, on episode 460 or so that I've recorded. So that's a lot of podcasts that I've listened to. And I have continually improved how I do that show over time to make it that much better. And not because anybody said, this is what you have to do. Not because I wanted to hit a certain number of downloads, but because I wanted the guest experience to be better. I wanted my experience to be better. I wanted the listener experience to be better. And all those things mattered. But most importantly, I wanted to learn. And my former assistant principal and good friend, Damon Hargraves, called it learning in dog years. And this is the real key, because when you learn and you're in charge of it, you learn so much faster and so much more deeply than anybody else. The problem with our traditional approach of making it easy is that we want learners to pass off a certain number of standards or objectives in a certain time frame. When you take that expectation away and ask them to learn what they need to get the job done, their learning just skyrockets. Talk about a hockey stick curve. It's just incredible because you learn so much faster, so much more deeper. So what I've done for my podcast is I've taken the problems that I'm facing in my school and I've gone and found someone who's already solved that problem and I asked them what to do. That's basically the format of my podcast, which is totally cheating, but <laughs> it's awesome because I short circuit that learning process and it's still hard, but I found a way to make it easier. So I don't have a doctorate, but I would say I have a an educational doctorate in the work that I've done. 460 episodes asking people how to run schools better. Yes, I don't have a certificate from some institution saying that I've done it in their particular prescribed way, but I know how to run schools. I know how to get schools to change and I've shown it again and again, and I can help people do that in a very short amount of time. Everybody says it has to take a long time, but it doesn't. And I just gave all the secrets away of how to do it. (laughs) And on this podcast right here, because that's how you do it. So speaking of learning how to do, make things change, kind of finding uh, more efficient ways to get it done in your easy way. A lot of what I, love about being in a training program. Um, I love going into a program and going, let's shift from like a service based, like, okay, you're going to tell you the training needs to create a sales um, program to help them use the point of sale system. I can't do that forever. That to me gets really, really boring. There's a certain level of engagement, but then it's kind of boring. So I, I like to go into training programs and say, how can we make this strategic where we can actually become like a strategy lever in the business to make the business grow, to um, empower the people in the business to do better, to do faster, to, to do more. And it really ties into what you're talking about. It, it, it goes back to how do we become more um, a service to the learners so that they can do more for the business. 
Yeah. So I want to address that question in a second. So don't forget it and make sure I come back to it because <laughs> I, I think it's really important. But we need to go back a second because you brought up something that's really important. There are specific tasks and skills that everybody needs in order to do whatever they're doing successfully. So for in the case of K-12 education, kids need to be able to read and do math. And if they first, if they can read, they can do anything else. So that to me is so important. And number two, they need to be able to do math. So they need, if they can read, they can learn how to do math eventually. So I'm not too stressed about kids not doing math early, but kids definitely have to read as soon as is humanly possible. And that doesn't mean that we like drill and kill to get them to read in kindergarten. We also recognize that they can develop appropriately and, and learn reading when it's right for them. But that time we need to facilitate that and make sure that they learn as early as possible. So there in business and in other places, there are things that people need to know how to do. Those things should be taught so simply that it's almost disgusting how simple it is because people still are responsible for that learning themselves. But again, that part needs to be so clear and as Scott said earlier, so easy that the basics of how to do your job need to need to be understood. Now, there's a little comparison here. Nobody has trained. Well, let me ask you a question, Abby and Scott. Who taught you how to use Amazon effectively? Me. You. Scott? Wasn't that episode 412 of the transformative principle? <laughs> No, I, I, I can taught promise myself. you it was not. Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. It was, it was another episode. No, I taught myself. No one taught me. I went and I did it. I learned how by doing, learning by doing. Yeah, so here's a little tip. If you are procuring software for your employees to use, if they can't learn it themselves, it might be too complex. And so I, I recently started using this program called SalesFlare. And the way that I learned how to use it was that they gave me a seven-day free trial and they said to unlock more days, do these things. And when you need, when you need to unlock more days on the trial, you 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 have to do these simple things. And there are tutorials that you can read or that you can watch a video on to know how to do those specific things. Now, I became highly motivated because I wanted to use this tool and I got some extended benefit by doing a uh, opening up some days of the trial and that that really helped but the the software was complex enough that they needed to teach me but not so complex that I couldn't have just figured it out if I really needed to so that's the important piece that nobody teaches us how to do these things when we first start we have to figure them out on our own and if what we're using is so complex that it's not uh, that it's not easy for us to do it, then it might be too complex and we may need some some other tasks before we get to that. So uh, you talked about the point of sale system, Abby. Before you do point of sale, you have to learn how to do inventory because you can do inventory and tie into the point of sale system once you understand how things are categorized and all that kind of stuff. I literally just made that up. I don't know if that would actually work <laughs> or not, but that's the kind of thinking that I'm that I'm saying is, you start people out where they have the capability. Mm -hmm. And then if they really want to be a cashier and do the point of sale, then they will work hard to understand the system so that they can move into that role later. 
Yeah, and I think you also kind of touched on it too. There has to be incentive. Like, so for your sales program, I mean, you were motivated to to learn more. That's great. Um, Abby and I had to learn how to order stuff on Amazon because I didn't want to go out and hunt for things anymore. I just wanted it to get to my home as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And then later... I wanted to find the best ding dang deal on it, right? So I think there's that evolutionary curve of right of you know the again back to the whiff and what's in it for me, where the, there is that incentive. Because with without that incentive, why bother, right? So if it's not important to me, then why bother? Um, well, and to that point, I didn't learn how to find a return label on Amazon just because I was bored and wanted to learn how to use the tool. And had I ever wandered across it, I wouldn't have remembered. I needed to ship something back. And so that's when I learned how to do it. Exactly. So when you had the need, when you had the desire and the opportunity, you figured out how to do it. And to be honest, you may have been like me where I said, eh, I'm not going to worry about returning that. I'll just give it away to somebody else because I don't know how to do this whole return thing. And that's too much right now. And sometimes when it's not, when it doesn't cost very much. Um, for example, I did that with uh, some fountain some fountain pen cartridges that I bought a few years ago. And they were so cheap, it was like, it doesn't even matter to return it or even try to return it because I don't want to learn how to do that right now. And it's okay. And we have to recognize that sometimes that's okay also. So I, I do want to get back to the other question, Abby, that you asked. How do we, how do we, can if you remember, can rephrase it. It was basically how do we get people to do more and be more yeah. in our business? Is that right? Moving from um, like a service space where we're just doing things because it needs to be done to really becoming strategic. But in order to do that, you really need the buy-in of the learner, right? To do more and become more competitive. Yeah. So they have to have that enrollment that I talked about earlier. But then to grow and become more, that really becomes very easy because that is natural within each one of us. We all want to be better and become better um, to the point to where we are at what we think we can possibly become. And I believe that we all have this innate desire within us to become powerful, incredible, amazing human beings. And nobody is without that. Everybody has that desire. And sometimes that needs a little awakening. Sometimes that needs a little encouraging, a little bit of coaching. Sometimes our mindsets need to be shifted. But if you have someone who's reached a point and they don't want to grow anymore, um, there's usually something that you can find that is causing that block in them. It could be a personal issue. So for example, I had a teacher who was just amazing up to a point and then she stopped. And the point at which she stopped was because she was going through a divorce with her husband and her kids were really struggling with that. And so that's what caused her to stop. And so instead of pushing her to be better, I focused on just helping her deal with the learning that she needed through that time, not how to be a better teacher, but how to deal with the challenge and pain of going through a divorce, because that's a very real thing. And it wasn't that, she was still coming to work. She was still doing good enough, but she wasn't at the level that she should have been in my eyes because of the potential that I saw in her. 
And so rather than saying, why aren't you getting better? I just recognized that she was still struggling with this home issue that was taking her time and attention and she could coast at work for a little bit and I'd be okay with that. Now, if she, if she coasts forever, that's not good, but I don't think that she would or that she would want to, that once she was through that hard part, she'd be able to get back on the horse and keep riding higher up the hill. So there's like just-in-time learning and then just-in-time growth pushes. <laughs> Same thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. And I do think that that is a skill that you have to develop and figure out when to push and when to let people be because it you can push people over the edge as you are trying to push them for growth. And that's not good. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, one thing I would add on there as well is they sometimes in our growth journey and our learning journey, there is that aha moment, Jethro, where I'm going to need some help, right? Um, and I, I find that for me, that, that, that aha moment of, oh, I'm going to need some help is, is good. So lucky that somebody cared enough to water me to say, you need a mentor other than me. I got a boss said, you need to get a mentor. Well, you're my mentor. Yeah, but you listen to me every day. And so I need you to go talk to so-and-so for various reasons. And I, I just feel like mentorships and um, today accountability relationships are just so important. Could you talk a little bit about, um, about that? Because I know that's an important part of what you do as well. Yeah, I, I think that choosing your own mentor is probably one of the most important things that you can do. And if you can choose the right person to help you achieve your possibilities, it's going to be amazing. So what I do is I, I coach principals. That's my main source of income right now is coaching principals. And they choose to come and be mentored by me, which is very humbling and awe-inspiring and everything. And I take the same approach that I've been talking about with you with them. I don't presume to know anything. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers. Make up work get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.